Well, as I said, I think last time when we were talking about making these changes, I, I, I take like, even, even though I'm, I'm doing some sharing right now or teaching, I guess, to try to, uh, par partly to try to facilitate some conversation and some discussion amongst us, but um, I, I do this with a little bit, with actually quite a bit of uh, fear and trepidation, uh, just because I really believe that in the in the gospel time, in the time of the gospel, like ministry should be made alive and led by the Spirit of God, and not not just. Um, not just done according to man's time and man's will, and and uh, that's just that reality has kept me pretty quiet, um, most particularly quiet in English. A little bit more, uh, a little bit more talkative in Spanish in the last in the last few years. But um, I, I have I have a real desire not to, I have a real fear really of not running ahead of the Lord and not, um, not speaking in my own will, not speaking my own mind, not, not making up or not even just, even just repeating true things that aren't, the, it's not the right time to talk about them or not the right, um, way to talk about them. And, um, I think I feel a measure of peace of, of the leading of the, of the Lord to try to do this at least. And I'm, and I'm not at all. Um, hesitant. I won't be at all hesitant to stop doing this if it doesn't feel like the Lord's in it at all. But I do believe that there's a, a place for teaching in in the body of Christ, and and I think it can be helpful. But I thought I'd maybe start this morning by just talking about, uh, and maybe I don't even know if I'll get to the first little section of um, Pennington that is in the first chapter that I, I may, but I may, I may just talk a little bit this, this week as kind of like an introduction to kind of what, what I think teaching is good for and what I think it's not good for. And, um, just so that we're on the, on the, on the same page here as we get going, the, the idea in, in the, both in the church today and I think well, in the world, first of all, but I think in the church also because in so many ways the church is uh, sadly like the world, is that kind of the accumulation of information has value in itself or particularly with, with the church, the idea of having, like knowing what is true doctrine or knowing what our true uh, ideas is very valuable in and of itself. Like you need to know what you should believe and you should, you need to know what you shouldn't believe. And so there's, there's a real focus in, in a lot of people's minds in the church about believing right things and disbelieving wrong things or proving that right things are, are right and, and proving that wrong things are wrong and and in that way kind of that that kind of knowledge or learning and teaching are highly a uh, highly exalted is you know is this idea true should i believe it or should i not believe it you know is it false should i look out for it or should i should i dodge it and as though as though just thinking that it's true or thinking that it's false has the value in it in and of itself 
or, or as though possessing the right information were the goal. And that's just not, that's not right. That's not true. There is right information. There is true words. There is true teaching. But as I'm going to say in a minute, I don't think we should look at this as an opportunity to hear and learn to believe like right things and, and just to discard wrong things. That's not what I think the purpose of, of teaching is. And I think to understand the, the purpose of teaching, you have to understand something of what God's trying to do. That's a, that's a real question that I think should be behind everything that we do as a body. The, the, the question of what, what is the Lord actually trying to do with human beings? Is the Lord primarily, is, is our problem lack of information? If so, then the Lord is, pr- is primarily trying to give us right information, you know? That, that would make sense if that's what the Lord's trying to do. If he sees our, our, our primary problem to be wrong understanding, wrong doctrine. However, if our, if our problem is uh, that we, that is a lack of life, is a lack of the life and nature and righteousness and holiness and truth of Jesus Christ, then that changes everything. Then information isn't the, information has to be a means to something else. Like teaching, understanding has to be a means to something else. Because if, if our real problem is that we lack the life and nature and power and light and righteousness and wisdom and truth and love of Christ, then, then, then learning true facts and discarding false facts isn't going to, it isn't going to stop anything. Um, it isn't going to change the nature that's working in our, in our, in our hearts. So, Again, what does God want? That's the that's like the question that's at the heart of I think should be at the question of the heart of everything that we're doing in the church. Why do we gather together to wait on the Lord? Why do we spend time in in the scriptures regularly or why should we? Why do we pray? Why do we uh, raise our kids certain ways? It it should never just be because it's just, it should never be because. It should be because God is wanting to do something in us. He has a, goal, a very specific goal in mind. So uh, I would say that teaching in itself, it, it, as, as words that come out of my mouth or anybody's mouth, can really just, it can, it can inform. And all the information in the world cannot transform us or cannot accomplish God's purpose. But I do believe, I was thinking about this this week a little bit, and I do believe that teaching, I kind of thought that there was two main purposes that I saw. There, there, I'm sure there are more than these two, but I, I, I saw these kind of as, as the two primary things that I'm hoping to have happen um, in these times together. And then as we, not just as I'm sharing, but as all of you guys share afterwards. And those two purposes are first to present a true description as far as words go of, of both who God is and also what he wants to do. 
That I think is very valuable. And I'll talk about that in, in a minute. But, and the second thing that I think teaching seems to have a real place or has, has a, is, is good for is to teach individuals how to, or what it means to cooperate with the grace of God. Or you could say to not resist the grace of God to, and, and thereby cooperate with his enemy. But what it actually means or how, how it is that we can live our lives during this short time we have in, in, in these bodies in such a way that we are cooperating with and not resisting what God's trying to do in us. And so going back to the first thing, kind of like to... Um, maybe describe a little bit more about that. The reason that it's important to have a true description of who God is and what he's trying to do is because, for instance, if someone says to you, which is a common thing that people say today, that uh, God loves you and accepts you just the way you are in your fallen condition. They usually don't add that uh, last phrase. But if, if someone, if a if a pastor or a teacher gets up in front of a congregation and says that God God is already perfectly content with how you are, the, how you're living, the nature you're living in, the, the, the life you're living, the things you're pursuing, he loves all of it. And he, he just wants to bless it all. He wants to be your coach. He wants to be your life coach. He wants to be your... Uh, he wants to bless the things that are most important to you, protect them, and that's why you should pray. Pray for him to bless and protect the things that are most important to you. Now, now I would say that that's a wrong doctrine. And, and, and therefore, I would say that it's dangerous. But I want you to understand, what I, what I want you to understand is why it's dangerous. Why is that? Is it dangerous just because it's false? I would say that's not really where the danger lies. It's dangerous because it, believing that about God and about what God wants to do in us sets the course of your life. It's, I mean, it sets the course of your relationship with God. It puts you on a track. It puts you in a, in a, in a direction. It sets you on a path going a, going a particular direction. It changes what, for instance, you're seeking from God. And instead of seeking a new heart, instead of seeking a changed heart, instead of seeking uh, that your heart be filled with the love of God, the righteousness of God, the truth of God, instead of seeking that God show you all the ways and free you from all the ways that you're contrary to him, it sets you on a course where you wake up in the morning and the thing you do every day is you believe that God God's already happy with everything, that doesn't not, none of your contrariness to God or, or, or difference with God has, has any relevance because God already has forgiven everything that's bad, past, present, present, or future, or whatever, and, and just wants to bless everything you do. Now, see, that's, that's, that is inaccurate. That is, I believe, unbiblical, and it is false. But the danger in it isn't just that it's false, inaccurate, and unbiblical. The danger in it is that it changes what you're going to do every day. It changes how you relate to God. It changes what you seek from God, what you expect from God. It changes how you understand your life, what's important to you, what you're supposed to be doing with the time that you've been given uh, on earth. 
And so it creates a wrong understanding of a relationship. That's what I'm trying to say. It creates wrong expectations. It creates prayers that are kind of like shopping lists or, or Christmas lists to Santa. It, 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 it creates an expectation in God that he's going to do something he doesn't even want to do. And so it, it creates confusion in your prayers when you're praying for the Mercedes or something, or you're praying for the, the life of, of prosperity and, and, or whatever it is that you've taught, that you've been taught that God want who God is and what he wants to do for you. It, it creates a lot of wrong expectations and confusion. I just, I just popped in my head. I remember a, a, a lady that used to go to our church a long time ago. She had a son that had cancer and he was, he was, a little older than me, but he, she was, they were believing that he was going to be healed and that um, God healed everybody as long as they would pray. <clears throat> and um, some of you probably know this person. I know some of you do, but um, anyway, the, 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 the young man ended up, well, they started saying that he, you know, there's no, he got to very, the very end of his life and they started saying, that he he was going to he was not going to die, but even if he did die, there he was going to raise from the dead. And then they had that kind of like a prayer after he died to try to raise him from the dead, and he didn't raise from the dead. And the lady, the mom, came up to me after a meeting with tears in her eyes and said, "Jason, did God fail me, or did I not pray hard enough?" And I don't think that those are the only two options. And yet in her relationship with God, that's how she was, that, that was what she was expecting. That's the relationship that she had, she had created. And she was, I think, operating under a false understanding of what, who God is, what he's doing, what he wants to do. I don't claim to understand the mysteries of who he heals and who he doesn't heal and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that it's important. I think that true true teaching can, in in a in a real way, lead to a right course of life. It can it can lead us to live differently and to relate to God according to what He's actually doing, and not according to our own imaginations and our own opinions. And let me get to let me get to the, the second thing I said that. It's in one thing. The other thing that, that I think teaching can can help us with is to instruct people to talk to people about how it is that they can cooperate with God and not resist what He's trying to do. And when I say just just to be clear, when I say cooperate with God, I don't I don't mean contribute. I, I don't mean we contribute to our salvation or that we add something of ourselves. Uh, of righteousness or of spiritual life or of spiritual light. Uh, I don't mean that. I, you know, like, like people would say, like, say like God does his part. You have to do your part. I mean, there's some, there's some truth in that, but there's also a wrong way of seeing that. Whereas we're both kind of contributor contributors to our own spiritual life or light or righteousness. And that's, that's not what I mean. I mean, when I say cooperate with God, I mean to live each day in a way that we are not re, not resisting and not hindering, um, not frustrating, not uh, quenching. Is another word the Bible uses the 
the work of the Spirit of God, not grieving. There's another one that the scripture uses, Ephesians chapter 5, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important to understand how, how natural it is for us to do that and, and what it means, how we have to live or what it means to live uh, before him in a way that, that doesn't resist or hinder what he's trying to do. And I think that both of these two things that I just mentioned are naturally wrong in all of us. What I mean is our ideas about God, what we, what we think about who he is. Like, I don't think anybody starts in the right place with that. I think everybody starts with their own idea or concept about God. Maybe it's because they had a bad relationship with their father. Maybe it's because they had a good relationship with their father. Maybe it's because, I, I don't know, that, that because of their personality, because of books that they've read, because of movies that they've watched. I, I'm not sure what forms our ideas about God. But I think everyone kind of begins with, when someone says God to them, they have some kind of a concept, some kind of an idea. Oh, I don't believe in God. Why? Because he's, you know, because I just think he's, like, I've never liked the idea of an angry, whatever. They have something in their mind that is, uh, is not right about who he is and about what he wants to do. And, and, and truth, the work of truth in us always is a correcting work. It's never a, a firm, it never affirms what we naturally think or believe. It always corrects. And then I think the ideas also of what it means to cooperate with God or to walk with God or what it means to resist what he's doing, I think those two are just naturally, um, naturally not right in us. We don't understand those things. Resisting God I think you could say is as easy uh, resisting the Holy Spirit is as easy as living our own natural fallen life in our own will for our own desires. That's that's all that we need to do. You don't have to be anti religion or anti-christ or you don't have to be involved in things that are outwardly uh, horribly sinful or judged to be evil by society you don't have to in fact you can be doing things that are judged to be very very good and right by society like the pharisees who were the leaders of the religious righteous ways of israel in their day and yet they were ex- very much, as we see, uh, resisting uh, the work of the Spirit, the words of the Spirit that were coming through Christ, the offer of salvation through the Spirit that was coming through Christ. The Pharisees were not living in outward, overt sins. Uh, they were living, as Jesus said, they had a clean exterior. They had... Um, They were like whitewashed tombs on the outside, something that had been clean and made to look white. But their resistance and their their refusal of the work of the Spirit was was inward. And so resisting the work of the Spirit, and this is something that I did not understand for so long as a Christian, 
how easy it is, how normal it is, how common it is to not allow God to do what he wants to do in us. And there's even theologies out there, very common theologies, like one of the main principles of of Calvinist thought and even in a lot of other Reformed churches is the idea that man cannot even resist the grace of God, that man is that is man is elected apart from his own will, apart from his own submission. He's elected and he's called and he is uh, forced, basically, to submit to the purifying hand of grace. And others are elected and damned also apart from their will. And that's, um, and a lot of people don't even believe that that extreme of a of an idea of, of predestination or not being able to resist grace, but they they still live in such a way where they don't think that living their own life, making their own choices according to their own will for their own personal desires, for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of their own life, they don't think that that is actually resisting what the Lord is wanting to do in their hearts. And it was extremely helpful for me when I first found the, uh, the writings, first of the early friends and then of, of several other writers that, I, that I've come to really appreciate over the last 10 years or so, to be instructed otherwise. And then to, to see that their, that their instructions in those, in those ways perfectly aligned with what I was already feeling in my own heart. Though I was, like most people, um, resisting, and trampling on the the seed that was trying to grow in me. I was not paying attention to that witness. I was in so many ways trying to avoid it, trying to say it doesn't matter, trying to say that Christianity doesn't really have to do with that stuff, trying to say that it was all finished anyway because Christ did it all on the cross, trying in so many different ways to dodge the fact, and it was a fact, that I was actually living in a way that didn't uh, allow the Lord to continually, hourly, daily work in me and work out of me what he was trying to do with me. And when I started to, to see and to feel, I mean, it was, it's all over the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament it's in, in types and shadows and all kinds of stories. And yet I had, I had created such a stronghold in my mind of this doesn't really matter. God doesn't care about these little, little things. Um, this isn't the substance of what really New, Christian, New Testament Christianity is about. Those are some of my arguments, you know. I'm, I'm, even though I wouldn't have said this one, I'm, I'm a lot cleaner than most Christians in that stuff, you know. Or, and none of that really matters because what does matter is that God, the living God, is trying to, to cause a willing and a working in my heart to, so that I'll work out my salvation. But I lacked the fear and trembling. And so I lacked the experience of that in a lot of ways, that working out of my salvation. In other words, I didn't give him a heart that lived before him in fear and trembling, like that verse says in Philippians chapter 2. But I said God was in me both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I just I grabbed the second part and, and threw out the first part. I didn't even know what he was talking about, honestly, about living before him in fear and trembling. I didn't know why Paul said, when I came to you, I came, came in much weakness and fear and trembling. 
not, I was afraid, you know, that I would nullify the cross of Christ. I didn't want you to believe anything I was saying except that your faith would be in the power of God working in you. And he, he, I didn't understand why he said, said those things. And I didn't understand how I was, uh, how I was resisting those things in a whole bunch of little ways. And, and, and it was first the friends who, ter- to, who began to show me and make me realize that the light of Christ doesn't just open up scriptures and spiritual truths and mysteries. It does do that. It does open up scriptures. It does open up spiritual truths and mysteries. But that's not all that it does. It, it, it not only shows you the things in your understanding of scripture and your understand, in your understanding of spiritual reality that are contrary to God and shows you what is true in, in the light, but it also shows you that same light, if you pay attention to it, shows you everything in your heart that is in, in your life, in your words, in your thoughts, in your desires, in your will, in your pursuits, in your relationship with the world, in your relationship with people, it shows you everything. If you're willing to pay attention to it, that is of a, of a contrary will and nature to the will and nature of your creator and the will and nature of your redeemer. And as I started to pay attention, <coughs> as I started to hear their testimonies about that, and again, this is kind of, I'm getting to like why teaching can be important. I started to ask myself, is that true? Is that what scripture says? began to search in the scriptures about the light, uh, the light of Christ. I, I began to find a whole bunch of scriptures. Ephesians 5, 13, that which is uh, reprovable is made manifest by the light for all that which makes manifest is light and that there's a light which is the life of the uncreated word of God and it's given in measure to every man who comes into this world. John 1, 9 and it shines, John 3, in the darkness. And it testifies against all evil. And, and, and yet men hide in the darkness because their deeds are evil. I, I started to see that here and there. I had known a lot of the verses and paid a lot of attention, a lot of attention to the verses that talked about um, the light of Christ revealing truth. The light of Christ renewing our minds, the light of Christ uh, teaching us um, the gospel, and and all of all of that. As some of you know, for, for for a lot of years, I talked about those things a lot. But it wasn't until um, the 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 friends, and then then seeing it in scripture, and then talking about it with a lot of you, um, it it helped me quite a bit to learn to to pay attention to that light and to take that light not only as my teacher of types and shadows and my teacher of um, of correct and incorrect doctrine and man-made religion versus spirit-given Christianity, but it, it, it began to show me that I indeed was resisting and myself, what the Lord was seeking to do, and and that's, I guess, the the, the second category of of things that I believe that I'm hoping that we'll have in some of these times together, talking about what's real, what's true of God, 
what his purpose really is, how he how he does it in our hearts and how we yield to it, how we submit to it, how we feel after it and find it working in us, what that means, what that doesn't mean. How is God inwardly um, choked the work of God? Not Obviously, you can't choke the actual life of God in, it, in itself. But what you can do is you can choke the work of the life of God in you. And when I say choke, I'm using the, the language of the parable of the sower and the, and the seed, where the, 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 plant, the, the, the plant grows up and begins to grow quickly, and then it's choked out by the by the weeds and the thorns and the or it or it dries out because it doesn't have root or, or those analogies. What does that mean? How does that work? What are some of the ways that the enemy brings that um, deception into our hearts about those things? How do we what does it mean to take receive the talent, the Lord's talent or mina and hide it in the earth? How do we do that? What, is, what does that look like? What, is it, what does it mean to, I mean, you can just pick, what, what does it mean to uh, pick a parable? I mean, what does it mean to find the hidden pearl or the lost treasure, but then not sell everything to buy the field in which the, the treasure is found? What does that actually mean? You know, those, those are the kinds of things that I think can be actually very helpful when it comes to, to teaching. And so... Um, one more thing about that, just I guess, and I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe I'll not get into the the Pennington thing today, but, um, and then kind of maybe just talk a little bit about what, what my thoughts are about doing that as we move forward, but I just, I want you to all, one thing I'll, I'll share with you that I've come to see really clearly is that all of us, all of us are advancing in a direction all of us kind of have a trajectory that we're moving on in our hearts i'm not talking about our lives there's a i guess you could say there's an outward trajectory too you know i'm talking about an inward trajectory i'm talking about the fact that every day of our lives whether we think we're doing it or not we are seeking something we're pursuing something we're chasing something, we're loving something, we're allowing something to grow in us, we're sowing to something. And whether, whether or not we realize it or not, every day we're taking steps in, in a race towards a destination, towards an end. And when, when we're talking about teaching, I I think it's better to think about it. It's not like God finds us sitting still with wrong information and comes and sits down next to us and gives us right information and then we sit still with right information. That's just not how life really works. And I'm not sure if I'm saying this very clearly, but you're running in a direction and the purpose for being taught is not to correct the information in your mind, 
but to correct the path that you're running on. It's, it's to show you the right path because you're going to run either way. You're going, you're going to get up in the morning. You're going to pursue. You're going to seek. You're going to love something. You're going to chase something. You're going to sow to the flesh. Or you're going to sow to the spirit. You're going to do something that day. And you're going to do it again tomorrow. You're going to do it again next week, next month, next year. And your whole life, when you look back on it, is going to be a walking or a running in a, in a particular direction. And, and the purpose, like when Jesus came and taught the multitudes, it's interesting to, to pay attention to like what he, what did he say? He could have sat down and given them long discourses on the nature of God's attributes or on the exact uh, theological distinctions on the three persons of the Godhead or something like that. He could have given them long theological explanations of spiritual truth, but he didn't do that, at least not very much. What he did do almost always was try to change their course. That's what he tried to do. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. What did he do? He didn't say, okay, everyone sit down. I'm going to explain to you exactly how God created the earth, what properties he used, and what, you know, that's, that's, that's not what he did. He began to tell them that they're on a wrong path. They're producing wrong fruit. They have a false righteousness. The, the, the cup is dirty on the inside. The plate is dirty on the, in, the inside. They're a tree that produces bad things. And, and, what, and he began to tell them, basically, stop running this way because the end of it is destruction. And there's a whole lot of people that are going that way. But turn this way. And so he started talking about what it meant to follow him, what it meant to be his disciple, what it meant to take up your cross, what it meant to pray in secret to the Father, what it meant to not worry about the things of this world and, and to concern ourselves with one thing, to turn away from the, 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 all, the various ways that this world distracts our hearts, to turn away from all of the sinful pleasures that... He said it was better for you to cut off your hand than to follow that direction or to cut off, pluck out your eye than to go in that direction. You know, that, that's the kind of teaching he gave. It wasn't discourses on the, the nature of eternal objective reality. It was, hey, guys, you're running every single day. I'm here to teach you. But what I'm going to teach you is that, first of all, you're running in the wrong direction. And second of all, if you don't change directions, where you're going to end up is called a, a darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And while you're, if you are, are fortunate enough to turn to your heart and find the right direction, here's how you need to stay on it. Because there's going to be a lot in this world. There's going to be a lot of temptations and trials. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be misunderstanding. Father and mother are going to, or whatever, they're going to turn. Families are going to be divided. There's going to be all kinds of problems. I didn't come to bring a peace on earth. I came to bring a sword, and the sword's going to cut in your own heart. It's going to cut in your families. It's going to cut this and that. And, and this is what it means for you to continue on this path, and he who preserves to the end will be saved. That's the kind of teaching that um, Jesus, Jesus gave. And that's the kind of teaching and sharing and, and that kind of um, communicating with words that I think can be really helpful.